It's no secret that costs of goods are out of control. Business owners, large and small, know this. I'm a small business owner who happens to be physically large. Cost of goods drives up cost of services, which drives up cost of goods. It's unending. But there is a solution. NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is a solution, not a problem. A lot of technology is just a bigger, faster problem. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs, cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And listen, 37,000 companies are using it. That doesn't happen by mistake. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash psychopedia. That's netsuite.com slash psychopedia. netsuite.com slash psychopedia. Tank. Yes. How important is cash, not only to me personally, but to our podcast? Oh, he's integral. Integral. He's the CEO of Psychopedia. I love him and I would do anything for him, but vet bills get very expensive. So fast. Especially when it's an emergency vet bill. So here's the good news. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Oh, I've heard about insurance before. I've never had it. With Spot Plans, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. That could be a whole lot of cash back for unexpected vet bills, which can pile up fast. Question, is that cash with a K or? (laughs) Funny. Spot Pet Insurance Plans don't just offer coverage for unexpected accidents and illnesses. You can add their preventative care benefit to your plan, helping to ensure that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit www.spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample dash policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Right, welcome back to another episode of the Psychopedia Podcast. I am your co-host, Tank Sinatra, here with my glowing red partner in true crime. Investigators later. Yeah, that was hard for me to say. I know. I almost had a conniption. <laughs> what happened? Should we do it again? Nah, you're human. You're human. Not today, uh. You feeling good? I feel great. I feel pretty good. I'm about though. to do what I love most. Yeah, which is share with you little freaks, one of the worst stories you've ever heard in your entire life. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> And I'm going to make jokes, not about the victim, obviously, because I would never do that. I'm not a fucking monster. But this is, you know, it's been a long time since I said this. This is how I deal with discomfort. Yes, it is. It's (laughs) It's okay. You bring the levity. I bring the gravity. That's right. It's what we do around here. I just want to address the episode that shit the bed. Just quickly, whatever. We're not going to draw on it. I just want you to know as the listener wasn't our fault. It was not. No. And I went to bat for us all. We apologize on behalf of whatever made that happen. We still don't know. Yeah. If maybe people are not sure what you're talking about, the last episode that was released, there's a glitch, not on all platforms and not for all people. Yeah, what the fuck? Which it's like selective. It was like punishing certain individuals. Yeah, my mother came over and she was like in a panic. She's like, the episode is stopping at 15 minutes on Apple. 
went over to Spotify and it worked. But on my phone, it didn't work on Spotify, but it did work on Apple. And sometimes it showed that it was only 15 minutes, but if you played it, it played the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So we got some kind of demon situation over here and we're trying to- Oh my God, you know what it is. You know what it is? The curse. Oh my God. Was that the episode? That was the episode. Oh my God. He fuck. I told you. You did. I told you. I prayed to him. It yeah. didn't take. He was probably busy. We were in his corner. I know. I went to bat for him. Oh. I felt like, you know, we were on the same team, but he jumbled up the Spotify, Apple server fucking distribution. But you know what I just realized as well, Tank? What? Nobody's going to know what we're talking about because they couldn't hear the episode that we're referring to. Some of them are. <laughs> I saw that some guy watched it on his TV. Wow, yeah. that's some dedication. So, yeah, I mean, obviously what happened, happened. And hopefully by now it's fixed. But I if hope you so. figured out a way to listen to it. And it was the like, unholy Halloween homicide episode. Yeah, but if you figured out a way to listen to it that was unorthodox and out of the box, good for you. Like, you are... And let us know so we can share that knowledge. Yeah, I mean, listen, hopefully it never happens again. But... No, I know, but I still would like people to hear that episode. So of if course. there's a way for them to do that, then I'd like to... No, I just mean oh. like, man, you guys really love listening to these things and we, it shows. Thank God. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank God. God. And I was on the back end in case anybody's wondering. Yeah, uh, Investigator Slater woke up at 5 a.m. to a fire drill and... <laughs> Took it out on tank. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> it's funny. I, I don't know many people's mood through text. Yeah. But I felt attacked that night. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I was freaking out. You were freaking out all day, and then you had your son's birthday, which is, you know, emotionally taxing and physically taxing Yeah, and especially because he turned 10. What does that mean? I mean, he's he's two digits now. That's a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, a lot going on this week, but I, we do apologize for that technical glitch, even though it wasn't our fault. We still take responsibility when we disappoint you guys. We're sorry. And hopefully by this point, it's worked itself out. And over, we are about to pick another Patreon member to come sit in on a live session with us. You can go over to patreon.com slash psychopediapod to get more content, really is what it's about. It's not about getting to come sit with us like we're so special. That's just like a nice thing that we thought we would do for people who are like ultra obsessed with us. Well, it's also more for our benefit because we want to hang out with you guys. Yeah, but I'm saying like, it's not a lottery ticket to come sit with us. You get other stuff there. Of course, of course. At the $10 level is where the unhinged episodes are. Yes. So little freaks, I still haven't figured out why that exists, but it's Little freaks? (laughs) Because we share pictures and they're part of the little freaks family. Yes, exactly. They get everything but the episode. Right. Um, And then when Investigator Slater quits her job. (laughs) Which is something Uh, I hear about every day from Tang. Then we'll start doing episodes at the $5 level. But until then... I still have an episode that you guys are owed Yo, on the Salem Witch Trial. Don't bring it up. I think about ask it you that. every 30 seconds. Where is it? I don't know. <laughs> this research thing is hard. Do you need help? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you're willing to help? I mean, we could go in on it together. Go halfsies? Yeah, you want to go halfsies? Tell me where you stop and I'll pick up. Oh, I didn't start. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I did. I watched a couple of episodes. And I did a little Googling, but as I'm Googling, I'm like, I'm supposed to find stuff you can't find on Google. So what am I doing here? It's not going to be fun for anybody. I believe in you. It's also the way you're going to deliver it. So don't be hard on yourself. It's going to be your first episode. Please be kind on yourself. We're going to be kind to you. We just want to hear what you got. Yeah. Bring it. I don't got much. Bring what you got. Okay, I will. So before we get started, I want to read off. I mean, you guys over on Patreon are really impressing us. With yeah. your names. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm a creative person. I love wordplay and mixing things up and whatever. Tank Sinatra, <laughs> you know, did it. But <laughs> <laughs> the names they're coming up with are really fun. Incredible. And I love it because they're picking up on the obvious things from the episodes that we like throw out there as being like funny and whatever, like shit business. And then the less obvious things that we're like, oh my God, do yeah, you remember? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I can't believe this person remembered this random point from this episode Four weeks ago. It's incredibly impressive, you guys. Everything. Everything you guys have so far. Well, this person just came out of left field with Hakuna Yurtadas. Oh, you love that one. I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> I really can't. My favorite at the moment, I love them all, Yeah, is Not Today, a Sister. Not Today, a Sister. Shout out to you. This one is all you, Spidey Tingles. Yes, thank you. I love it. Because that's not actually the word. It is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Drew Nunya Shabidness Jones. Sick. Mariska. A little normal Oh, Haggerty? No, from Law & Order SVU, potentially. I mean, she's not the only person in the world named Mariska, but... Very fair. Yeah. Uh, none of your Shabidness, but N-U-N. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Sister Today, huh? Mm-hmm. I got 99 problems and Shabidness ain't one, which is all mine. Yeah, that's on you. That's, that's yours. That's all me. Hannah Adams... Bridget Mind in My Business, <laughs> Christine McCauley, Kelsey Gallagher, The Greater Dane, which I just feels really regal. Yes, it does. Right? It feels like very important. Happy Ever Audrey, Liam M Michael, and oh my God, this one actually fucking blew me away. I don't know what it means, but the name is Rub Tub Tuggington. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just great. Oh, Rub Rub Tuggington. Does that make it more understandable? Well, Rub Dub is like a bath. It's Rub Rub Tuggington. Uh, I'm just going to keep saying it. I, that, I might start saying that in episodes. It might work the opposite oh. way. Maybe, oh, Akuna Yurtadas is like relax your genitals. <gasps> yes, it is. Oh, my God. This person's a genius. Wow. Okay. All right, Hakuna Yurtadas. Look out because we're going to be outside your house in we about see four you. minutes. Yeah. So without further doozy, which is also one that people have all in their names. Let's get to the show. All right. In the quaint town of Ashburnham, Massachusetts, where manicured lawns and white picket fences suggest an idyllic existence, there stood a treehouse nestled amidst the tranquil embrace of maple trees and sunlight. I always wanted a treehouse. Same. But yeah. my dad's a lawyer, so like that was never going to happen. No. I was never going to have a treehouse and I was never going to have a trampoline. Trampoline, I get. I fucking hate trampolines, but we will love them at your son's birthday party. You fucking better. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> From the outside, it appeared to be an ordinary treehouse with its wooden facade blending seamlessly in with the natural world. But this was no ordinary treehouse. Derek was standing in it rubbing keels on his abs? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> because we're talking about it on Psychopedia. <laughs> This treehouse did not contain half-eaten bags of Doritos, empty Coke cans, busted-up toys, or a 40-year-old sticky porn mag, because this treehouse was not being used by innocent neighborhood children exploring the outdoors or hiding from their parents. This treehouse was being used by a local professional dominatrix with dark and foreboding fetishes for BDSM, Whoa. blood play, bones, body decomposition, and, tragically, homicide. That's not a fetish. That's murder. Yeah, well, per usual, you are ahead of yourself. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a little freak. I'm super kinky. I like to kill people. <laughs> what, ma'am? 
This is the 2018 case of a 21-year-old woman named Julia Enright, a.k.a. Mistress Jasmine, a.k.a. the Treehouse Killer. Wait, so you book a session with a dominatrix. You're going to hear how it works. That's not how it works. But but I'm just, okay, let me spill out over here. So you book a session with a dominatrix, and she goes, okay, it's going to be however much money it is. We'll do it at this time on this day. And then she goes, meet me in a treehouse? In your world, yes, but I'm trying to say that's not how it worked in this case. Well, I can't hear anything else at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I've made up my mind. Should we just end the episode? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. If you made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the case. Julia Enright was raised on a 30-acre farm in a town on the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Very small town. New Hampshire? Shut cool. up. <laughs> <laughs> We are off to a rough start, Tank. It's about three states above New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jersey, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> she characterized her upbringing as lower class and far from perfect, marked by long hours of strenuous manual labor on her family's farm, overseen by her father, John. However, she did receive an education and ultimately pursued a career as a phlebotomist at Quest Diagnostics, specializing in blood collection and specimen gathering at a medical practice. You didn't ask Google to pronounce that word for you? Phlebotomist? <laughs> no, but I did spell it out phonetically. Phlebotomist. Yeah. We said phlebotomist. I'm enunciating. You're mispronouncing. <laughs> <laughs> phlebotomist. Man, you are a tough crowd. Phlebotom. I think it's like a circus thing. Julia was widely regarded as a diligent worker and independently financed her college education by saving up from her minimum wage job and receiving scholarships. Externally, Julia presents like an ordinary, typical young woman with an edgy style, including a shaved, sometimes neon green mohawk, tattoos, and face piercings. Her demeanor exudes composure, articulateness, calmness, and poise, creating a sharp juxtaposition with the heinous crime she committed making it challenging to reconcile these two facets of her personality. Though, of course, here at Psychopedia Central, we've seen this many times before in past cases, Mm -hmm. that ability for someone to flip a switch and oscillate between a forward-facing persona and a much darker one lurking in the shadows. And in Julia's case, this darker persona would come out to play at night under the alias Mistress Jasmine. Mistress Jasmine was a paid dominatrix in the world of BDSM, which is bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, and masochism. Oh, really? Yeah. I never knew what BDSM stood for. Typically, in general, a dominatrix exercises control and power over her submissive partner or client and may use various forms of psychological, physical, or verbal domination to fulfill their fantasies or desires within the context of BDSM. This can involve activities like role-playing, bondage, discipline, and various forms of fetish play. It's important to note that as long as all of the sexual activities are consensual and negotiated between all parties involved, with an emphasis on safety and communication, there's nothing wrong with this type of fetish, BDSM. It's a little weird, but there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I don't think it's weird. It's not weird, but it is like, okay, something happened in your life where you can only be aroused by having, you know, somebody beat you up or degrade you, which is like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem fun to me, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm not a, obviously a mental health worker, but my feeling is there's probably psychological elements at play there. Maybe something happened in childhood or something happened 
in life. Or maybe in life they feel like, you know, they just need somebody to to take control of them. Exactly. I was just going to say, I read somewhere that people who like to be controlled are typically, as you said, in real life, always in the control seat, always in the driver's seat. And for them, the idea of being completely on the other side of the spectrum. Submitting control completely. Exactly. Is what does it for them. And I've said it before and I will say it again. I will never yuck somebody's yum. Yeah. Not weird, but listen, it is very common. It is. And as long as the people are mentally fit and consenting to what they're doing and no one is getting seriously injured or killed, then why not? Yeah. It's not like you're asking somebody to fucking feed you to death. Nope. But we have met that person before (laughs) on this uh, podcast. podcast. Feed me, fuck me, kill me. Studies have actually found that between 30 and 40% of people have tried one aspect or another of BDSM during sexual activity. Yeah, that's a lot of people. That's a decent amount of people. The problem here in this case with Julia is that she had proclivities for activities that ventured far beyond the typical realm of BDSM practices, delving into much darker and much riskier territory Mm. because Julia had a taste for blood play. Oh, yeah, you said that. Simply put, blood play is a niche kink that falls under the BDSM umbrella, as I understand it, and is when a participant or participants are deliberately cut so as to release blood. It's a sexual interest in which the sight, scent, feel, and or taste of blood is deemed sexually arousing. <laughs> for some, the intimate connection between blood and intercourse is sexually stimulating, but for others, penetrative activities are not required and the arousal can be derived in other forms. It can range from a pinprick to something far more intense and include, but not be limited to, using instruments to carefully draw blood, such as knives, razor blades, needles, or surgical instruments, giving, receiving body piercings, having sex during menstruation, oh, this is, engaging in doctor role play, and or engaging in vampire role play. All of that making me very uncomfortable. Is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Super uncomfortable. I'm laying the foundation. This house is going to crumble. It is not. It will stand. You'll be okay. This foundation is soaked with blood and it's making me super... How about I give you a pop quiz? Really? Yeah. Right now? Right now. Is that what was going to happen anyway? Maybe, or maybe I'm just a good friend. All right. Yeah, I would like a PQ right now. PQ. What is the term for the sexual fetish in which individuals experience arousal from using blood or blood-like oh, we're back imagery to blood. during cool. sexual activity? Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, so what is the term for this? You can't avoid it in this case. So okay. get comfy. A, hematolagnia. Mm-hmm. B, vampirophilia. Mm-hmm. C, hemorrhagophilia. Hemorrhagophilia or hemorrhophilia? Hemorrhagophilia. Hemorrhagophilia. Um... Hematolognia, vampirophilia, or hema, whatever the fuck. Like hemorrhage, hemorrhagophilia. Yeah, whatever. Um, I'm going to go with hematolognia. Yes. For somebody who's uncomfortable, you're pretty on the ball. I get very sharp when I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) Sharp as a tack that may create some blood. Yeah. Yeah. Learning a second and third language has opened my mind in ways I did not expect. Language can be such a barrier, we feel divided or separated from people who are speaking a language we don't understand. I can tell you from lots of personal experience, there's nothing better than coming across someone struggling to speak English only to have me meet them where they stand. Their eyes light up and they relax. That's why I love Rosetta Stone. Learning on your own with books or even in class is tough because you learn in a way that does not make sense to the human brain. 
Rosetta Stone is as close to immersion as you can get without abandoning your family and responsibilities to go live in Spain for six months. Rosetta Stone has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. You learn fast. It's intuitive. There's no English translation, so it's sink or swim. And it has the true accent feature, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Psychopedia listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com psychopedia. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com psychopedia today. It's Sophia Franklin, and if you don't already know, listen up. My mini-series is live now each and every Monday, and the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Interestingly, blood play is not as uncommon as you may think or as you may want it to be. Yeah. According to a survey conducted on 4,175 Americans about their sexual fantasies, 17% of women and 9.5% of men said that they'd had fantasies involving blood. And that survey was conducted by a man named Dr. Justin Lamiller, who's an award-winning educator and author of a book titled, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Now, there are definite physical and emotional risks involved with cutting, slicing, and piercing during sexual encounters. Sure. And using real blood as a form of pleasure. Oh, you don't say. I do say. There are risks. So anyone engaging in this needs to do so safely and remain risk-aware, incorporating the use of sterile items, being educated on the safe locations as to where to implement the cuts, being cautious of how deep a cut is, and bandaging the wound ASAP once you've had your jollies. There's actually a set of guidelines in the BDSM community called the Safe, Sane, Consensual Guidelines, and they've been created to ensure that partners and practitioners completely consent to this activity and are in, you know, a good and healthy state of mind before engaging in it. In Julia's case, it wasn't just a matter of displaying a sexual fascination with blood play coupled with her professional involvement in blood extraction as a phlebotomist. Yeah. But she also displayed a substantial fascination with the ominous aspects of death and dying, which we will go on to explore, of course, in horrific detail momentarily. However, the most sinister and depraved desire of all was her urge to end a human life. Really? Okay, she's taking it too far. This desire, when acted upon, led her to target an innocent and unsuspecting 20-year-old ex-boyfriend named Brandon Chickless. So let's go back in time for a moment to when and how Julia and Brandon met so we can understand how they wound up spending his last moments on Earth together. Back in 2015, Julia and Brandon met while commuting together on a bus to Montachusett Regional Vocational Technical School. Brandon was kind, quirky, had an infectious laugh, and was a distinguished Boy Scout for 10 years who achieved the esteemed rank of Life Scout. Really? Is that above Eagle Scout? Yeah, Life Scout, yeah. Life Scout's like, legit. Wow. He was in direct opposition to this edgy, kinky, dark young woman who moonlighted as a paid dominatrix with a stack of business cards. 
But despite the apparent disparities between Brandon and Julia, they discovered a common bond in their shared sense of being outsiders in society. And in due course, this connection blossomed into a romantic connection, which was likely just a case of opposites attract, which is a tale as old as time. And as old as Paul Abdul and the cat. Opposites <laughs> attracting, you take know. Two steps forward, I, I take, take two steps, steps back. Two steps I, back. I make the bed and he steals the covers. <laughs> I have that song in my head once every three days for the last 30 years. Really? Yeah, it's not Freak, freak. Yeah. As boyfriend and girlfriend, Brandon and Julia would meet for sex in a treehouse located on a property adjacent to Julia's home at 171 Packard Hill Road in Ashburnham. Uh, Roughly how old are they right now? 2021. All right, that's fine. Yeah, although I, I actually, <laughs> well, that actually, I'm sorry, 2021 is how old they were in 2018. Yeah. They started dating in or around 2015. So rewind approximately three years and that's how old they were. Okay. So they don't have to live alone and. No, no, no. Yeah. As mentioned during the intro, this particular treehouse where they'd meet was no ordinary treehouse. It wasn't even an ordinary shag pad. Because this private, provocative pleasure palace in the woods. Elevated was outfitted with a system of restraints featuring a bolted-in metal restraint in each of the four corners of the structure. I'm guessing that setup would allow a submissive to be restrained in like a sprawled, totally vulnerable position and exposed to the dominant. Now, it remains uncertain to me in my research as to whether Julia in her role as Mistress Jasmine would also bring clients to the sexy treehouse or if it was exclusively reserved for her personal sexual encounters while off the clock. But regardless, it served as a venue for her to scratch her fetishistic itch. Nice. Oh, wow. That's like a lot of entendres right there. Yeah. I don't know how I said that and could not say New Hampshire earlier. Well, Jay-Z, you know, talks a lot about just plugging into a higher power. Mm. Triple entendres, don't even ask me how. Con Edison flow, I'm connected to a higher power. (laughs) So you're saying I'm connected to a higher power? Yeah, if one exists. Okay. (laughs) Ultimately, Brandon and Julia's relationship fell apart, and the pair broke up in 2018 when Julia was 21 and Brandon 20, though they remained tangentially in touch with one another. And life went on. Within that same year, Julia started dating a new man named Jonathan Lind, and Brandon found a new girlfriend and worked as a heating technician in preparation for starting his own HVAC business. Tragically, however he would not live long enough to make that happen. Because on June 23rd, 2018, Brandon was brutally stabbed to death inside the very treehouse he used to frequent while dating Julia a few years prior. And to uncover the circumstances surrounding this tragic homicide and to try to understand how and possibly even why it happened, we need to first examine when and how his body was discovered. So we're going to back into it. Okay. On June 24th, which was one day after Brandon was murdered by Julia in the treehouse in Massachusetts, Brandon's family had filed a missing person report when Brandon failed to show up at his father's home in New Hampshire the previous day as planned. His disappearance was highly unusual, not only because it was out of character for Brandon to not follow through with familial plans and obligations, but also because he'd been eagerly anticipating his upcoming 21st birthday. Life was just going very well for Brandon. He had no reason to just up and leave and vanish. Well, yeah, if a fucking life scout doesn't show up for something, you assume... You got a problem. Tragedy has struck. Then, one week after Brandon's inexplicable disappearance his Honda was discovered in the parking lot of a Hannaford supermarket. 
And one week after that, a jogger stumbled upon a decomposing body discarded along Route 119 in Ringe, New Hampshire, just across the state border from Massachusetts. To everyone's shock, horror, and complete heartbreak, of course, the remains turned out to be Brandon Chickless. His remains were meticulously wrapped in a combination of a blue tarp and a beige canvas sheet before then being concealed within two sealed trash bags that were wrapped in duct tape. Evident on the shirt being worn by the severely decomposed body were 12 deliberate slits correlating with 12 distinct stab wounds. After investigators analyzed Brandon's phone records, they traced his cell phone to Julia's address on the day of his disappearance and pulled up a message where she'd invited him to visit her and instructed him to keep their meeting a secret. Naturally, law enforcement promptly visited Julia's residence to conduct an investigation, particularly due to the fact that Brandon's phone had not registered any activity anywhere else after it was last tracked to Julia's house. And upon their arrival at Julia's home, the officers were utterly astounded by the shocking revelation they encountered. Pop quiz. Mm. What did law enforcement discover in Julia Enright's home? A, jars of human saliva and de-winged oh, insects. Fucking gross. B. I, if you came up with that, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. Why don't you hear the others? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. B. A used condom collection and dead animals. C, blood-stained walls and photos of naked men. I mean, the grossest one is A. Okay. That's what I'm picking. Wrong. Thank God. No. No, that means you came <laughs> up with it. You are fucking gross, dude. Yeah. Jars of... <laughs> I'm literally just a little sick right now. I'm a little proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I don't know. What, which, uh, another one. I don't e, even want a to used condom okay. collection and dead animals. Gross. It also gross. It turned out that in addition to having a fetish for BDSM and blood play, Julia also possessed a fascination with used condoms, which she collected, knives likely used during blood play, and animal bones that she used to create artwork. Now, back it up. When you're sitting there doing this pop quiz, mm -hmm. right? And you think, I have to come up with something equally or on par as disgusting as a condom, a used condom collection, so gross, and dead animals. When you wrote down the words, jars of saliva, <laughs> <laughs> like, what was happening in your life at that time? A spark of genius? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could call it that. I mean, that's one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard of. Mm. I know. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm not really proud of it. It is gross. I give you that. But it's creative, so it's you can give me that. Stand tall no, on I your can't. creation. <laughs> True. <laughs> stand up on the chair. <laughs> Authorities also discovered vials and vials of blood, dead animals in various states of decomposition rotting in plastic tubs, which were referred to as wet specimens. Oh, my God. And a bucket filled with internal animal organs. Okay, so this is the worst case we've ever done. For wow, me. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you are really, really noticeably uncomfortable. Yeah, my like, I'm making you squirm. My stomach hurts a little bit. I'm so sorry. I mean, maybe it's the red light against the black curtain. Oh, wow, could be. I don't know. Or the skulls. I may have to stop doing this. 
I've never felt better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel charged right now. So in addition to finding those aforementioned horrendous atrocities in Julia's home, authorities also found dominatrix outfits and BDSM paraphernalia, as well as a video of Julia as Mistress Jasmine licking blood from a body part. It does not specify in any of the sources which body part she was licking, mm-hmm. but we can use our imaginations, can't They probably we? would have said what body part it was if it wasn't the one that... If it was like a finger, right. Yeah. So... What exactly transpired on that fateful day on which Brandon Chickless met his premature, savage, tragic end? This chick's whole life is the McDonald triad on steroids. There's not too much about her childhood. No, no I mean, there. just like walking into her apartment, she's got a used comic oh, yeah. and dead no, animals no. and wet specimens. Right, but just to take that a little bit further, right? Because we always This like- is the Arby's octagon, right? <laughs> This is gross. This is a relatively recent case, so there's not a tremendous amount of information out there yet about her backstory. But by all accounts, she, listen, she had to, you know, work manual labor on her family farm, which was 30 acres. I'm not, that was definitely not easy, but she was educated. She put herself through college. She had a good job at Quest Diagnostics. So for me at this Oh, there blood. Right, there wasn't too... Well, she was a phlebotomist. That's blood. Blood, yes. blood, 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 all day, every day. Her whole life centers around blood. Her professional life and her... Moonlighting life. Right. Not even just her moonlighting. Not even just how she made... And that, that was her side hustle, the dominatrix gig. Yeah. But even in her personal sexual encounters, she involved blood play. Maybe she got into it when she was on the farm with animals. Could be. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Here's what we know, though, in terms of what transpired on that fateful day on which Brandon sadly was killed. On June 23rd, Brandon's family believed that he departed from his home in Westminster, Massachusetts with the intention of visiting his dad, Paul, in Wyndham, New Hampshire. When he mysteriously failed to reach his destination, as mentioned, Brandon's family filed a missing person report the following day. Despite an extensive search effort, law enforcement was unable to confirm that he'd ever left for or ever arrived in Wyndham at all. Then, on June 29th, 
As mentioned, Brandon's gray Honda Civic was discovered in the parking lot of a Hannaford supermarket along Route 202, or 202, approximately 40 miles west of Wyndham in New Hampshire. 11 days after his car was found, Brandon's body was discovered by the jogger approximately six miles further down the road from where his car had been parked. Wow. At this point, of course, New Hampshire authorities ruled Brandon's death a homicide, having found his remains. Yeah. Now, if you recall, Brandon's cell phone records placed him at 171 Packard Hill Road in Ashburnham, Massachusetts, which was Julia's home that was owned by her father. There was no other use of his phone after that date, meaning it was either intentionally shut off or destroyed. Yeah. During the course of their search within and around the premises, investigators fortuitously came across the treehouse and discovered blood on the stairs leading into the treehouse, as well as inside the treehouse, as well as under the treehouse, and inside Julia's car. Okay, so a lot of blood. Lots of traces. By the way, remember that it's 2018, so somebody not using their cell phone, even for a few hours, is like unheard of. Absolutely. Unsurprisingly, the Massachusetts State Police Crime Lab determined that the blood indeed belonged to Brandon Chiklis. Additionally, according to documents filed with the court, it was clear that the treehouse had also recently been cleaned and a new rug had been placed on the floor. When investigators moved the rug, they found that blood had seeped down through the floorboards. Yeah, it's wood, right? Yeah. So you're not going to clean that out. No. Needless to say, Julia Enright was arrested by state police. During Julia's interrogation while in custody, she asserted that she and Brandon hadn't seen each other since they broke up. They'd occasionally text or they'd send messages through Facebook, but they hadn't actually seen each other in a very long time. But when detectives confronted Julia about the fact that Brandon's phone had registered at her address on the 23rd and hadn't pinged anywhere else since, Julia altered her account of events, a common tactic employed by those attempting to conceal the truth. Yeah. She then suggested that she and Brandon had in fact spent time together drinking alcohol all day on June 23rd until Brandon eventually left the house with a wad full of cash for the purpose of buying drugs, after which he never returned. And she hadn't seen or heard from him since. But 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 I forgot about that when you asked me about it the first time. Oh, so. that Brandon Chicklis. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, he's he was going to go get drugs. You should arrest him for that. Well, you're not far off because Julia got very cocky at this point in the interview, and she went so far as to voluntarily share Facebook messages between herself and Brandon with the detectives. Mm -hmm. However, what she failed to foresee was the officer's capability to retrieve deleted messages as well. Hello? Listen, Listen, in today's day and age, if you kill somebody and you get, like, arrested, you can't lie about it. You can't fucking lie about it. Don't kill anybody is my first message. The first takeaway. Second message, if you are, in fact, the person who killed somebody, just go, you got me. Yeah, if the police are at your doorstep, there's really no way (laughs) you're getting around. If you did it, listen, if you didn't do it, fucking fight to the death. Of course. But if you you did it, just be like, fuck, I didn't think I was going to get caught. Yeah, criminals aren't smart, typically. Yeah. They're really not. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Hollywood loves to paint a picture of these diabolical, brilliant killers. Yeah. In reality... Not the case. Not usually. They're just like most people. Yeah. Dumb as fuck. And if they're, you've said, well, you've said this before. If they're making the poor decisions to kill and they're not completely all right. Yeah. Chances are they got sloppy somewhere. How intelligent can they really be? Right. 
So it was during this process of going through Julia's phone that law enforcement stumbled upon messages from Julia to Brandon, enticing him to meet her at the treehouse, accompanied by unmistakable and intentional instructions to keep the meeting entirely confidential. Yeah. Additionally, Julia hinted at having a surprise in store for Brandon. Moreover, investigators found that just moments after extending the invitation to Brandon for this treehouse encounter, she then sent a text message to her boyfriend, Jonathan Lind, asking him which of the following questions. Pop quiz. A. Want to play? Along with a knife and blood emoji. B. I'm about to indulge in my own personal brand of heroin. Jealous? Or C. Do you think we can add bubbles to the bloodbath? A. No. Fine. B. No. Well, there's only one left, isn't there? (laughs) My own personal brand of heroin is from Twilight. Oh. Because my head was in the whole vampire world. Yeah. And um, no, it is C. We watched Willy Wonka last night. Which version? The old one. The original, the only one. We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. Mm, Willy Wonka says that? Yeah. I want to get that like... Tattooed? Yeah. That's so profound. That movie's so fucking good. Why are we talking about it, though? Twilight. Oh, totally reasonable to them. Well, you, you Willy said Wonka. something is from Twilight, and last night we watched it, and that line just kept ringing You didn't watch Twilight head. last night. You watched Willy Wonka. I know, but you mentioned a line from a movie. Oh, So I mentioned okay. my own damn line from a movie. <laughs> I was just wanting to make sure I wasn't missing a bigger point. You're not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's never, I mean, it's usually pretty simple with me. <laughs> Following the completion of the search of Julia's home and the collection of potential evidence, investigators began sifting through some journals recovered from Julia's room. And these journals shed some very bright lights on the depth of Julia and Wright's depravity. First, there were the entries indicating her purposeful manipulation and emotional torturing of Brandon. For example, one entry said, Sometimes I don't contact him to see how long he will go before messaging me. It's great. It's nearly kismesis. Do you know what kismesis is? No, I was just going to ask you what that means. So it's a mashup of words. Kismet, meaning fated or destined, and nemesis, which of course means rival. So together, kismesis is your fated rival, or even some would say your serendipitous rival. Hmm. It's also sometimes called black romance in that it's dark and hateful and can include sexual tension. Yeah. So she indicates how she's manipulating him because she likes to see his reaction. Yeah. Julia's journal entries ended up becoming pretty critical pieces of evidence that were used against her down the line. And when you hear what else she wrote, you'll understand why. On one occasion, Julia wrote, I just have this insatiable curiosity to kill a person. I daydream about it occasionally. Julia had also written that she'd been aroused by an event. And when detectives questioned Julia about what event she was referring to, Julia indicated that the event was in reference to robbing a grave and giving the bones of the corpse to Jonathan with the intention of reconstructing the skeleton for him later. Wow. But really... What do you get for the guy who has everything? I mean, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) But really, the event she was talking about that aroused her was the event of killing Brandon. Oh, yeah. Julia also left some bizarre, if not telling, Facebook statuses as well, including the following shared post on March 17th, 2013. So we're going back a little bit. Quote, I want to live my life like a bear. Eat when I want, sleep when I want, kill people in the woods when I want. 
at this juncture in the case, which is now two weeks after the discovery of Brandon's body and following Julia's arrest, she was brought before a court for arraignment on July 24th, 2018, which would have been Brandon's 21st birthday. And she was officially charged with murder in the first degree. There's some kismet for you. She pleaded not guilty. Wearing her Quest Diagnostic Scrubs shirt and a mohawk, Julia R. Enright was ordered by Winchenden. I have a very difficult time sometimes with Massachusetts town names. They're crazy. The district court judge, Arthur F. Haley, to be held without bail until trial. Good. Now, let's talk about the trial. This case involved nearly 240 exhibits and more than 45 witnesses from multiple jurisdictions. During opening arguments, Senior First Assistant District Attorney Jeffrey Traverse, the prosecutor for the Worcester District Attorney's Office, said after stabbing Brandon Chickless more than a dozen times inside the treehouse, Julia Enright immediately began to fabricate an alibi. First, at around 8 p.m. on June 23rd, the day of the murder, Within hours of the murder, evidence revealed that Julia sent text messages to Brandon's cell phone, despite knowing he was dead because she killed him, mm-hmm. asking, why didn't you show up to meet me? Did something come up? Oh, wow, she's so intelligent. Then she created an alibi with her boyfriend by going out for sushi later in the, that day following Brandon's death so that she can say, I wasn't with Brandon. I was having sushi. According to the DA, The messages were intended, looking forward in time, to account for Julia's whereabouts if attention began to focus on her. Interestingly, Julia's defense attorney, Louis Badwee, did not deny that Julia and Brandon spent the afternoon together on June 23rd, in spite of the prosecutor presenting evidence of Julia trying to craftily establish an alibi that suggested otherwise. Rather, her defense attorney presented a very different narrative to the jurors altogether referring to Brandon as a rapist. Her attorney indicated that Brandon sexually assaulted Julia in the treehouse, which prompted her to defend herself. According to Julia's defense, she had indeed invited Brandon over for the purpose of having sexual relations, but then changed her mind after they started hooking up and told Brandon to stop. Out of rage, Brandon then sexually assaulted Julia by forcibly inserting his fingers inside of her. The Boy Scout? Yep. (laughs) Then, out of self-defense, Julia closed her eyes and stabbed Brandon with a three to four inch pocket knife she typically carried with her before running out of the treehouse and not returning for another 40 minutes. Stabbed him 19 times? 12. Is that how many times he was stabbed? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of stabs for a defense. That's a lot. (laughs) In response to the defense's statement indicating that Julia had closed her eyes while stabbing Brandon, presumably out of being squeamish or uncomfortable by what she was doing, the prosecution introduced multiple documents to challenge this likelihood. One, they noted how Julia texted Jonathan about adding bubbles to a bloodbath around the time she invited (laughs) Brandon to her home. Oh, really? You were squeamish? Well, this about the the bloodbath right here? Explain that. Two, she's a phlebotomist. Yeah. Three, they confirmed with a forensic psychiatrist that Julia had discussed a practice of using blood she had taken from her friends during sexual encounters with Jonathan. So it's very unlikely that she closed her eyes and stabbed him because she was squeamish. Yeah. Now, at trial, both the prosecution and the defense agreed that Brandon and Julia met in the treehouse. They both agreed that Julia stabbed Brandon 12 times 
killing him. Okay. And they both agreed that Julia enlisted her boyfriend's help to gather Brandon's personal items, his wallet and his cell phone, remove the SIM card, and dispose of all the items in a dumpster of a coffee shop the next day. Did the boyfriend help with the body? Yes, he did. Okay. That's what I thought, because when you talked about having his car dropped and then his body so far away. Oh, yeah. She hadn't accomplished. Yeah, Yeah, who was driving with her. Right. Who was driving with her. Prosecution and defense also both agreed that both Julia and Jonathan wrapped Brandon's body in a combination of a blanket, a blue tarp, a beige canvas sheet, trash bags, and duct tape before driving his body across state lines to dump him on the side of the road. It's the motive behind the killing that the prosecution and the defense disagreed on. Prosecution alleged that Julia intentionally killed Brandon Chiklis with her bloodlust, twisted journal entries, instructions to Brandon to keep their meeting a secret, followed by fake text messages to Brandon after his death, and text messages to Jonathan about adding bubbles to a bloodbath. They also brought up her quote-unquote deviant interests, the likes of which included gutting animals and displaying their organs, keeping their decaying bodies in plastic containers, and then making craft projects with their bones. She also wrapped the animals' bodies in tarp, as she did with Brandon's body, to speed up decomposition. Oh, does that do that? Yep. Obviously. But it's this next bit, Tank, that the prosecutors allege during trial that really shows the depth of Julia and Wright's depravity. And this may be really, really upsetting to hear, so please listen with caution. This is a trigger warning. TW. Eight days prior to killing Brandon, Julia had an abortion at Planned Parenthood where she attempted to bribe the staff into allowing her to keep the 13-week-old fetus she aborted in order to, quote-unquote, play with its bones. She said that to the Planned Parenthood people? Yes. She also brought $100 (laughs) as a bribe for staff and a lunchbox, presumably in which she planned to place the aborted fetus. Wow. There were records from Planned Parenthood in which an employee documented Julia's request to keep the POC, which stands for Product of Conception. Some speculate that Julia intentionally got pregnant for the sole purpose of having an abortion so she could dissect and play around with the fetus. That was a lot. That was heavy. Yeah. Among the journal entries entered into evidence was one line in which Julia wrote that she would have to put on her sad face when she went to her medical provider to discuss having an abortion. She also indicated in her journal that she had intentionally requested to have an at-home abortion. Did she? No. She went to Planned Parenthood, remember? Prosecution also argued that Julia killed Brandon as some kind of macabre gift or offering for Jonathan, also indicated in her journal, which the prosecution had her read out loud to the jury. So they had Julia read all of these horrible journal entries that I've been peppering throughout this episode. Mm -hmm. They had her read it out loud to the jury in her voice. I hope she fucking realized how psychotic and dumb she sounds. I'll tell you, man, her forward facing persona is composed and articulate and clear. And it's so hard to reconcile what she shows with what she did. What is the person who, does it feel any emotions? Is a that psychopath. Psychopath. Okay, so she's probably yeah. We're gonna psychopath. 
very, very shortly talk about like some possible theories regarding what's going on psychologically. Yeah. But she absolutely is not somebody who has a fetish who just took it too far. No. Not at all. Listen, if you're out there getting tied down and getting your fucking little booty whipped with some fucking leather straps, <laughs> don't worry about it. You're good. This chick is not one of you. <laughs> no, not at all. She was pretending. When asked by the prosecution to explain what she meant by her previous journal entry in which she described having an insatiable curiosity to kill a person, Julia provided which of the following reasons behind her fascination with death. Pop quiz. Okay. A, she witnessed the death of her cousin at a very young and formative age after he drowned in a lake. B, her father would slaughter animals on their farm right in front of her. C, she blames it on her obsession with Marilyn Manson. No. Uh, A. No. Okay. B? No. Is too easy. This chick is one of the dumbest people we've ever covered and the most evil and depraved, which is not a word I use often. I feel like that's your word. It is my word. But she is depraved yeah. beyond comprehension. Agreed. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. In the fast-paced world of attacking, speed is everything. And that's where the Furon 7 Plus shines. Engineered for accuracy and precision at a rapid pace, it's your secret weapon on the pitch. Experience overall comfort and precise striking, even in the game's fastest moments. The nylon outsole with its V-shaped stud configuration is designed for firm ground, giving you the grip you need to outmaneuver your opponents. Step up your attacking game and learn more and purchase the Furon at newbalance.com. In court records and in testimony during trial, the prosecution also detailed how Jonathan's cell phone repeatedly shuttled between Julia's home near the site of the murder, the supermarket where police found Brandon's abandoned car, and the ringe area where Brandon's body was discovered. Of course, we already know what the defense's argument was, which was that Julia murdered Brandon out of self-defense. Julia even took the stand in her own defense, which is like almost never advisable. And she cried throughout her entire testimony. Now, cameras were not allowed in the courtroom, but trial transcripts indicate that she stated the following. I kept screaming for him to stop. That's when I pulled my knife off my belt. I swung my arm. I stabbed him. He wasn't hurt at first. He seemed fine. I think at the very end, I hit his neck. And that's the end of the quote. When asked by prosecutors why she didn't go to the police or to a neighbor's house after stabbing him to tell them what happened and to get help, yeah. she responded by saying that she didn't think anyone would believe her about the sexual assault and she didn't want to acknowledge how easy it was for him to have overpowered her. And here's where I get really, really pissed off. She is the reason, or one reason, why some women are afraid to report crimes of sexual assault. Yeah. Having a legitimate fear of not being believed is a concern that she, Julia Enright, has reinforced through her false claims of sexual assault. Prosecutors noted in cross-examination that in multiple medical and prison intake documents, Julia had not mentioned at all, anywhere, ever, that she'd been sexually assaulted. 
Now, there are a multitude of complex and often deeply personal reasons why many women are hesitant to report sexual assaults. But one of the most prominent reasons is fear of not being believed. And this fear stems from the unfortunate reality that some survivors have faced skepticism or victim blaming when sharing their experiences. And it's people like Julia that contribute towards this terrible reality, and it frustrates me. It's such a weird thing that someone would be sexually assaulted and then be scared to go to the police. So they wait, 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 carry it around with them for their entire life. And then they come out with it however many years later. And then they go, well, I don't believe her because it's how many years later. Like, you don't understand the inner workings of how internalized shame works or yes. or, or misplaced fault yes. on the situation. And that just makes it so much worse. When you get robbed, you fucking go to the police. Mm-hmm. If you get sexually assaulted, go to the police. Right. To your point, it's not that easy. <laughs> no, I know. But one thing makes it worse, which is waiting. Yes. Because then it's like, well, why'd you wait so long? Well, it's like, well because I fucking was trying not to kill myself this over is, this experience. This is called the science of trauma. And this is why me and my professional capacity with my family's law firm yeah. fight to get laws changed and statutes of limitations opened yeah. to allow people to come forward. I don't care if it's five years, 10 years, 15 years later. Who is anyone to tell a victim of sexual assault when they should come forward? when they should feel that they have a leg to stand on, when they should feel comfortable to talk about the worst moment of their life. Well, one thing that I think about, especially in high-profile cases where people, you know, quote-unquote, come out of the woodwork and say, well, Kavanaugh sexually assaulted me 30 years ago or whatever it was, or Donald Trump assaulted me. It's like, if you get sexually assaulted, maybe at some point you go, it just is what it is. It's too long ago. I can't say anything. But imagine that, the person who assaulted you now is going to be sitting on the fucking Supreme court. And that's it. You go, I, I, I have to say something like this person cannot be the president of the United States. Right. And me not say something. Right. And that was what made me come out. Right. The fact that this person exists, I dealt with, I made peace with having them be in such a prestigious position of power makes me want to come out with it. Right. You know, and it's tough too, because a lot of times, even when laws are changed, the statute of limitation does not allow for the survivor to go after the perpetrator, like criminally. Uh-huh. So meaning that guy will still won't go to jail if we get that. Oh, open. really? Yeah. If we get that window open, that statute of limitation window opened for an extended period of time, whether it be a year, whether it be five years, whether it be forever, which is what I think it should be. Yeah. You still can't, after a certain amount of years, depending on your state where you live and where the assault happened, criminally go after the perpetrator. What is it? Civil? Civil. Yeah. And like people who were like, it was so long ago. Why should this even be brought up? It's like, dude, there's nine Supreme Court judges. There's 330 million people in the country. You're telling me we can't even find one person who's not going to be accused of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. We got to be able to find one. And that survivor has a right to come forward if and when she chooses. Yeah. It doesn't have to be according to when it fits into your professional calendar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, dude. The fear of not being taken seriously compounded by the emotional and psychological trauma associated with sexual assault can be paralyzing. And survivors worry about the potential consequences of coming forward and whether their voices will be heard and respected. Some are afraid of the perpetrator if he or she is still alive. Yeah, of course. They may come after them. There's a million and one reasons that make it very, very scary for a survivor to come forward. But just getting back to this case, what really upsets me 
is that Julia claims that she didn't report the sexual assault because she was afraid she wasn't going to be believed. Well, you know what? Women are afraid and men are afraid. Any victim of sexual assault are afraid of not being believed because of people like you, Julia. Yeah. Okay. The jury was presented with photos of the treehouse after it was photographed by Massachusetts State Police Trooper Ali Ree, as well as photos from Brandon's autopsy. They heard from New Hampshire medical examiner Jenny Duval that his remains were mostly skeletal and that his shirt revealed at least a dozen slit-like defects. They also heard from Michael Anger, who's a member of the New Hampshire State Police, indicating that a roll of duct tape was also recovered from Brandon's abandoned vehicle. In the end, following three weeks of testimony and two days of jury deliberation, the Superior Court jury reached a verdict. Julia Enright was found guilty of second-degree murder in the death of 20-year-old Brandon Chiklis. She's been sentenced to life in prison at Western Massachusetts Regional Women's Correctional Center by the Superior Court Judge Daniel Wren, though she will be eligible for parole in 25 years. What about Jonathan Lind? Jonathan Lind was indicted in January of 2022 on charges of conveying a human body, accessory after the fact to murder, and misleading a grand jury and perjury. Because this crossed state lines, so many departments of law and order were involved, and they all deserve props for their tremendous work in this case. So give me one second to give them the props they deserve. Sure. State police detective unit assigned to the Worcester County District Attorney's Office. Well done. State police in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, Ashburnham and Westminster Police, State Police Crime Scene Services, the State Police Dive Team, because remember, they were looking for... Brandon before his remains were found. Mm -hmm. The state police special emergency response team, state police civilian forensic scientists, the New Hampshire medical examiner's office, and the New Hampshire attorney general's office. How much Dunkin' Donuts do you think was drank by these guys during this whole thing? (laughs) I mean, as much as their hearts desired. Boston guys love dogs. No, I thought, oh yes. Um, What's Tim Hortons? Canada, Canada. Yeah. Julia appears, by the way, in a documentary titled Prison Girls Season 1, which you can find on YouTube. When the prison counselor, a guy named Counselor Peach, asked Julia... Peach of shit? Nope, just Peach. All right, I'm going to go Peach of shit, but... This counselor asked Julia why she was in jail, just as part of the documentary. Uh Her response was, a grand misunderstanding. Oh, you're so gothic. But there's nothing to misunderstand, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the law. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, she lured a 20-year-old innocent man into the woods, into a treehouse, and With the promise of sex, by the way. Which for a 20-year-old guy, like, 20-year-old men will go almost anywhere and do almost anything to have sex. I mean, she offered a surprise, but given where they were meeting, which is their previous romping ground. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My old romping ground. My old romping But yeah, there was no misunderstanding. She plunged a knife into his body, not one time, not two times, not three, four, five, six. Just say how many times. Seven, eight. Not eight. Nine, 10. It has to be 11. 11, 12. I did that on purpose. So you really get a sense of how many times she plunged the knife into him, ripped it out, plunged it in, ripped it up, but she's in prison because of a misunderstanding. Yeah, no. And frustrated by this case. Yeah, she sucks. Yes. But at least she's in prison for life. Yes, she is. She is. She's eligible for parole in 25 years, but she... That doesn't mean shit. I know. Now, in my non-expert opinion, 
It is my personal belief that Julia took pleasure in the pain, suffering, and death that she inflicted upon Brandon, suggesting a sadistic inclination that extends beyond the realm of consensual bedroom activities, which of course, as we've mentioned now many times, within boundaries is acceptable. I believe she likely has sexual sadism disorder, which likely contributed to her murderous endeavor. Now, sexual sadism disorder falls under the category of a paraphilic disorder, which is characterized by sexual interests, preferences, fantasies, urges, and behaviors considered to be atypical. These interests are considered symptoms of a disorder only if they are acted upon in ways that have the potentials to cause distress or harm to oneself or others, especially others who have not given consent. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is referred to as DSM, the exact prevalence of sexual sadism is unclear since data predominantly comes from individuals solely within the forensic setting. But depending on the criteria for sexual sadism, prevalence ranges from 2 to 30% of the population. My understanding is it's closer to 2. Wow. Like it's very, very rare. Among civilly committed sex offenders in the United States, less than 10% are diagnosed with sexual sadism. But in the case of individuals who have committed sexually motivated homicides, as many as 75% may have sexual sadism disorder. I'd like to take a moment now just to highlight who Brandon Chiklis was as a man, as a human being, and not just as a victim. Brandon was extremely loved by his parents, Paul Chiklis and Trisha Edwards Lamarch, and his siblings, Ethan, Patrick, and Jasmine. Ironic that his sister's name is Jasmine. Brandon was described as being a kind, kind young man who will be tremendously missed. He was born on July 24th, 1997 in Lowell, Massachusetts. While attending high school, Brandon was a member of the drafting class and joined the ROTC for a year, which I think is awesome. I really wanted to do that in college, but I had very bad asthma and I couldn't. And you're four feet tall. Fuck off. <laughs> Brandon was a member, as I mentioned, of the Boy Scouts of America for over 10 years, which is no small achievement, and became a Life Scout. He really enjoyed the outdoors, hiking and camping, and he had plans of starting his own HVAC company, a goal that he'd been working towards and building up for the previous two years. So that's Brandon Chiklis from what I can gather. I've seen pictures of him. He's just, you know, yeah. he's Boy Scouts so is, young to me. You know what I mean? Boy Scouts is one of those things that starts off cool, then it gets really weird, and then at the end of it, it's like, Dude, you're the fucking man. You you made an Eagle Scout? It's so true. I mean, yeah. I have a little bit of a different perspective of the Boy Scouts given <laughs> what I do. Of course. But just putting that aside and just looking at the organization itself, yeah. you just you just nailed it. Like when you're younger, it's super cool. Like I can tie a knot. Yeah. I can use a Swiss Army knife. And then it's like you are And then you're 13 not and you're cool. Like, Bro, you're in Boy Scouts still? That's weird. I mean, they really do some really cool stuff. No, I know. I have two friends who who got Eagle Scout. My father-in-law is an Eagle Scout. And Weirdo. Dave was a not an Eagle Scout, but a Boy Scout. Yeah, I was a Boy Scout, too. Really? I stopped because I was too cool. <laughs> In the weeblos. In summary, with this complex and tragic case, it is essential to differentiate between the presence of sexual fetishism versus a sexual disorder and its role as a cause for murder. While the involvement of such inclinations adds a layer of intricacy to the narrative, it is crucial to recognize that it likely does not serve as the primary catalyst for the crime. Murder is an act, obviously, of extreme violence, often stemming from a multitude of factors, including personal circumstances, 
upbringing, mental health issues, and a multitude of other reasons that I can't even begin to possibly list here and now. Yeah. So it is incumbent upon us when studying or listening to this case to approach it with sensitivity and a comprehensive understanding of the myriad influences that may have led to this tragic outcome. You can't say it was just one thing. And in doing so, we honor the memory of Brandon Chiklis and the pursuit of justice while also acknowledging the need for a nuanced and compassionate examination of all contributing elements. And that's the case. That's the case of, what are we calling it? Um, Who are we? Well, the Treehouse Killer is what she is referred to yeah. in the world of true crime. It's not a tremendously covered case. Again, a very, it's very recent, but I don't know yet. We, we've got to like sit with this for a couple days, I think. Wow. I mean, the fact that she fucking maybe got pregnant on purpose just to be able to abort a baby so she could play with its bones. I could barely get through that part. I mean, can you imagine the people who worked at Planned Parenthood, what they, they must have just been beside themselves. I mean, it's interesting because they had documentation, obviously, that clearly, clearly reflected what what happened when Julia showed up with a hundred dollar bill and a lunchbox. But I, I also wonder, like, should they, did they call law enforcement? I mean, they should have for that's sure. Something that I believe I should be on their radar. Maybe there's a privacy. Oh, good point. Great point, Tank. I mean, I'm going to make a statement here. Probably the worst person we've talked about. This really hit you. It hit me too. It's wild because we've they're obviously all terrible. they're all terrible. We've covered serial killers, obviously, where there's so so many victims, and this case was like a quote unquote one and done. That is not to devalue the one life at all. Yeah. Obviously, that was lost because well, I, she only she got caught right. That when we say one and done, it's we're just talking about numbers here. Yeah, and yet even though we've covered cases where so many people were tortured for long periods of time and kidnapped and brutalized, like there's just some awful. There's something about Julia Enright that just... Something about Julia Enright that just don't sit right. That just ain't right. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the title. Enright Enright ain't right. That's it. Oh, man. So listen, I know I say this every episode, but if you made it this far, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) Oh, man, you're my people. If you made it this far, you are my people. I mean, not what the fuck is wrong with you. More like... Hats off to you for being able to sit through this and not just pressing stop and saying, I'm never listening to this podcast. They might be squirming the way you have this entire episode. It's possible. And that's okay. It's okay to feel things. True crime makes you feel things. Yeah. At the end of the day, I hope that we are left with a memory of Brandon, that we always respect the victim and that the feelings we take away just better society and human nature, if that's possible. That's my blue sky scenario with true crime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it means a lot to us that you would listen to the entire episode. If you made it this far, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Subscribe to us on YouTube because we're going to be putting out videos soon. And, uh, oh, here comes that intro music. I better wrap it up. Outro music. Whatever. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm Tank Sinatra. We'll see you guys next episode. Bye. Bye.